Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Oh, thank you, Father, so much for your goodness to us and and uh, working daily to bring us into alignment with you. Thank you, Father. Give us your grace every day, Lord. Amen. Well, I'm going to talk about <clears throat> casting down the dragon, number five. Mm-mm. Well, I'm going to start out with a revelation we call Massive Upheavals Coming to Cast Down Idols. You want to conquer the dragon, you got to conquer the idols, right? Amen. This was given to Eve Brast on 6422. I dreamed that I was in my maternal grandmother's house, only it was much larger than in real life. And I believe this is representing the ancient, original, and only church. (laughs) Uh, My grandmother's name was Sally, which is a nickname for Sarah and means princess. Sally also means a military action, a sudden charge in the direction of the enemy. Those who are in the house, the original church, are descendants of Sarah. Amen. (coughs) Spiritually speaking, who brought forth the promised seed, Isaac, for our father Abraham, whose seed we are by faith. In Galatians three sixteen through 18, and 26 and 29 say, Now to Abraham were the promises spoken, and to his seed. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. Now this I say, a covenant confirmed beforehand by God, the law which came 430 years after doth not disannul so as to make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance is by the law or of the law, it is no more promise of promise. But God hath granted it to Abraham by promise. In verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. Well, the promises were spoken to the one, and that one is Jesus Christ. How do we have those promises? We abide in Jesus Christ. That's where the promises are fulfilled. And also, 1 Peter 3, 5 through 6 says, For after this manner aforetime the holy women also who hoped in God 
adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose children you now are, if you do well and are not put in fear by any terror. Amen. Fear hath torment, and fear is a demon spirit, and it wants to lead us astray from justification by faith. Amen. I was in the living room over near the window uh, in the wall that looks out onto the sunroom and separated it from the living room. So she's looking through the window into the sunroom. As we will see, the living room represents this current life living in this world. We are able to look out into the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N, room, but we see through a glass darkly, and there are different degrees of separation from Christ, who is the sun, that we experience in the flesh represented by the wall and uh, the window. Amen. The fireplace was over to my right. And uh, she has in parentheses, the fireplace to my right represents that Father's righteous judgment through tribulation will come to strip his people of their idolatry with the world. Amen. The breakfast bar and kitchen area were behind me. Well, this represents the food of the kingdom, which is the word. And it's behind me because of leaving the way of getting caught up in distractions and idolatry with things of the world or preoccupied with family and loved ones. Isaiah 30 and 21 says, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. So we uh, don't need our back to the word. We need our face to the word. Uh, other distractions keep us away from the Word, but we are to become the Word made flesh, which is what Jesus was. And He is our spiritual Father. I had a table set up near the window where my leopard gecko, Arnold, and his terrarium were. Uh, this represents little idolatrous altars in our lives where we sacrifice to little dragons that uh, we don't recognize as dragons because they are camouflaged by their spots. <laughs> yeah. Okay, she inherited this from Noah, I believe. <laughs> and uh, the uh, red nighttime heat lamp was turned on in the terrarium, and this represents stop, warning, and danger. I was going around the living room trying to gather together fragments of my past life, memories and keepsakes from when my boys were little and all the little things that had sentimental value or importance to me. I was placing all these things around the terrarium. Well, we know that the dragon can't be the center of our lives. Only Christ can. And I want to say that our flesh is a dragon, too. You know, it's part of the beast. It is the enemy of God, right? 
It felt like I was trying to desperately salvage the past and my former life or hold together everything or everyone that I held dear to my heart. Hmm. Well, Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I count not myself yet to have laid hold, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and stretching forward towards the things which are before, I press on towards the goal unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. My son Josiah, who had blonde hair in the dream, was behind me, off to the side. Well, Josiah was a man-child reformer that forced the people to get rid of their idols and outlawed idolatry among the people. He broke down all their idols and destroyed all the groves and put the idolatrous priests to death. Second Kings 23, 4-20 And the king, that is Josiah, commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron, and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests, whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah, and in places round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, and to the moon, and to the planets, and to all the hosts of heaven. And verse 13, And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had builded for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile. Mm-hmm. And he break in pieces the pillars, and cut down the Asherim, and filled their places with the bones of men. And verse 20, And he slew all the priests of the high places that were there upon the altars, and burned men's bones upon them. And he returned to Jerusalem. Yes, he was a great reformer. He made a great turn for his people there. My ex-husband, representing my old man, was over near the fireplace saying things to discourage me and telling me that I'll never succeed in my efforts because he had all the control over these things that I was trying to hang on to. Yep, the old flesh wants to stay in control. You have to tell it no. Okay? It's dead. <laughs> and uh, she says, uh, if you're playing in the devil's territory, he has a right to, p to persecute and tribulate you. And you will be playing a game you can't win. Suddenly the floor of the house began to form a long, deep crack that ran the length of the living room. Then a portion of the ground behind me 
that the breakfast bar and kitchen were on jutted up about six inches above, revealing a red, sandy loam dirt. Well, this is meaning the life that comes from the Word conquers the flesh. It was above it. As a As I looked down at the dirt, I realized that instead of carpet, there was short green grass. Uh, 1 Peter 1.24 says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory thereof as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower falleth. Amen. I turned away from the table and looked over towards the kitchen area where I saw David standing next to one of the breakfast bar stools, beckoning me to come over to safety where he was. And she said, many will turn away from their idolatry and towards the spiritual food of the original gospel during the initial upheavals. David represents the man-child David reformers, who will provide the spiritual food for the woman in the wilderness. Revelation 12 and 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that there they may nourish her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And that was three and a half years, just as Jesus nourished the woman church in, in the wilderness too. Amen. I realized that I needed to make a decision quickly because all the past things that I was trying to cling to or salvage were about to be taken down. Well, that sounds like great upheaval, doesn't it? And the ground that they were on was about to crumble and give way. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that many are in this position. We're about to be called to forsake all of Egypt, and to partake of the manna in the wilderness. Amen. And you know they had to leave it all behind, didn't they? Yes, and the provisions they did bring didn't last very long. God provided. So I jumped up to the higher ground that had jutted up six inches above and behind me, and as soon as I did, it violently jutted up out of the ground into a boat shape, eight feet high. <laughs> Sounds like an ark, right? Uh, well, we have many dreams of a boat shape formed by fault lines in the earth, where a refuge in the shape of an ark for God's elect is going to be. Um, well, she said, Abiding in Jesus, the Word, is the ark. And 888 is the gematria of Jesus in the Greek. The name Jesus is unique because it means Yah, short for Yahweh. Uh, God is salvation. And this is additionally strengthened by the numerical value of 888. This important number uh, symbolizes eternity and perfection. It also symbolizes the victory over evil. We do not know of any other person's name that also gives the value 888. It's obviously the name above all names, right? Yeah. 
In the Greek language, Isus consists of six letters. The, the six is the number of man because Jesus was the Son of Man. Amen. And we are too. We are sons of man, sons of God, being created into his image, right? I turn to look back at all the things that I held important and were dear to me and uh, watched as they crumbled along with the ground underneath them and everything from the past was swallowed up into darkness by the earth. Hmm. Well, we have to be willing to forsake these things in order to be in the ark of safety. You know, they couldn't bring everything into the ark, and they didn't want to be distracted anyway. They had a, a, a mission from God. Amen? She said, the Lord is going to strip his people of all that they value above him in order to cause them to finally quit straddling the fence and waver back and forth. We must wholeheartedly commit to walking by faith and trusting him for everything to be true disciples for his kingdom, just like the first disciples did. David and I were standing near the breakfast bar and kitchen of my grandmother's house which was now located on the, the bow of this new boat that had been formed out of the land. And her parenthesis is, uh, the original gospel will be shared to many people coming out of the world and apostasy uh, into the refugees, uh, refuges, excuse me, during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. True. We have to be ready to go. I felt to go and explore the land that was lower down in front of the bow of the boat. So I jumped down onto the ground in front of the boat. And she says this is representing going to share the gospel with the rest of the woman's seed that the dragon will go and make war with after the man-child is caught up to the throne and anointed. I came up to a small hole in the ground. Now, remember this because it's going to be important later. A small hole in the ground about six feet from the bow that was plugged up by a small green glass flower vase that had no water in it. There was a bouquet of three helium balloons tied to ribbons coming up out of the dry vase. And as we will see, the apostate churches have no water of the word to produce fruit because they are too busy partying with the world and its ways. And this hole represents a pit, a, a trap um, uh, that's been laid for the church. I called over to David to come and look at what I had found when he came over, I pulled the balloons out of the vase and handed them to him. And she puts, dwelling in heavenly places? Uh, yep, could be a symbol of that. The anointing caught up to the throne of authority. Yep, that could represent all of that. We both bent forward looking more closely at the vase and the hole. And I said, 
look how deep this hole is. It goes down a long way. And she puts uh, representing the underworld of deception and apostasy that God's people are captured by. Amen. It's true. So many are caught in little traps. Okay. Then I pull the vase out of the hole in the ground to have a better look down the hole, and I had an open vision of a cave underneath. Remember that, too, because that's going to come up again. Uh, Isaiah 42, 22 says, But this is a people robbed and plundered. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses. They are for a prey, and none delivereth, and for a spoil, and none saith restore. So the people of God are captured by factious apostate church leadership. I saw a father dressed in a tan suit. He was sitting on a dining room chair. And this represents the false doctrines, food, that the false shepherds feed to their followers. He was holding a five-year-old blonde girl on his left knee. She was dressed in a white frilly party dress with uh, black patent leather shoes. And I thought, the party is over. Meaning it's time to get on the boat, right? <laughs> it, was, it was time for them to leave the partying and uh, get on the boat. Well, this five-year-old girl represents all those immature but elect of God who are currently walking in darkness, the patent leather shoes, right, and will come out from among the apostate church holes by grace because the Lord is going to end their party with apostasy. Amen. The vision ended as the ground around the hole began also to crumble and fall away to reveal the cave and a red dragon that had been curled around the father and the little girl for centuries. (laughs) Wow. But the father and the girl were not there. And I knew in the dream that they lived, but at the same time they had been dead a long time. Well, she has in parenthesis, the dragon has infiltrated and wrapped itself around the apostate church since the first century. This is true. And I'll just point out to you that a woman I knew who was very gifted at dreams and visions and revelation was in the false revival movement. And she looked up and saw a dragon over the assembly that was hosting it. And this uh, dragon is a part of the same one in Revelation 12 who is attempting to devour the true leadership, the man-child. She thought that this dragon was the enemy going to attack this false revival movement. But I said, no, it's not. It is the false revival movement. Yeah. 
Revelation 3, 1 through 5, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and thou art dead. Be thou watchful, and establish the things that remain, which were ready to die. For I have found no works of thine perfected before my God. Remember therefore how thou hast received, and didst hear, and keep it, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. But thou hast a few names in Sardis that did not defile their garments. They shall walk with me in white. There you go. For they are worthy. That's the little blonde girl in this, which is this remnant who will leave the father in the tan suit representing the false leadership and will walk in white. Amen. And verse 5 says, He that overcometh shall thus be arrayed in white garments, and I will in no wise blot his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Well, you notice that Eve, who was probably a type of the bride here, was going forth out of the ark to go and restore uh, the apostate church. This is exactly what happened in Jesus' day when he, as the man-child, um, sent out the one that John the Baptist called the bride, those first fruits disciples, to restore the people from the fallen uh, church of that day. Amen. Well, the dragon had been content and at rest guarding the father and the girl, but when I had unplugged the hole and pulled out the balloons and the vase, well, I believe this represents exposure for the apostate leadership and deliverance from the trap of apostasy because pulling out this revealed them, okay? Well, this angered the dragon and stirred him up into a rage. He began stomping around in the cave, causing the ground to break up all around the rest of the boat that had formed in the earth. Well, we've been shown for a long time, and by the Lord, that the fault lines that shaped the boat would separate after the new Madrid quake and bring water around the boat. And that's because those fault lines are spreading, will spread, right? I had never felt or experienced such rage in my life. Well, the dragon will make war on the rest of the woman's seed, representing the ground around the boat, and break up their fallow ground. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17 says, And the dragon waxed wroth with the woman, and went away to make war with the rest of her seed, because basically he couldn't touch the woman, right? Uh, that, keep, uh, that keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Yep. Well, the dragon's out there to make war against us, and um, 
we have to overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, don't we? Mm-hmm. According to Revelation 12. Then the dragon sent out a massive raging flood of seawater towards me. The waters were, were so stirred up that the entire surface of the waters were covered with two feet of white, frothy sea foam. The sea waters represent not only the nations being stirred up against the people of God, but also the river of lies that the dragon spews out of his mouth against the woman in Revelation 12, uh, 13 on down. I'll read that to you. Uh, and when the dragon saw that he was cast down to the earth, he uh, persecuted the woman. By the way, this is happening, the casting down to the earth, the dragon uh, is uh, Satan, and he's losing his position of authority in the world. He's being cast out of everything. Uh, not completely, obviously, but um, uh, from his position of the prince of the powers of the air, right? He persecuted the woman that brought forth the man-child, and there was given to the woman the two wings of the great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness unto her place. Of course, that's the ark, right? Where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time, that's three and a half years, from the face of the serpent, as the disciples were nourished for three and a half years by the man-child Jesus, right? And the serpent cast out of his mouth after the woman water as a river, that he might cause her to be carried away by the stream. Well, this, this uh, river coming out of the dragon's mouth is lies about the vaccines, lies about the plagues, lies about the aliens, lies about their thousand years of peace, uh, on and on and on, right? And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the river which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Hmm. Well, we know the world and the worldly church will swallow the lies, and they are doing it, and it's costing them a lot. Many people are dying. And the dragon waxed wroth with the woman and went away to make war with the rest of her seed that keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Well, interestingly enough, back in uh, 6, 5, and 2011, I had a vision of the dragon and his lies. I saw myself as a normal person in a cartoon. I was in a long log cabin cartoon house. I heard a voice warning, David, the dragon has sent the ink lies against you. Ink, as in regular writing ink, and lies. Ink lies against you. Yes, and they did. A lot of lies. They sent out a lot of lies against me and have ever since. It's the same bunch. So I opened the door on one end of the cartoon cabin and looked to my left. And I saw a dragon with his head all the way up to his shoulders, stuck into a window in the back of the cabin. That's the way he does. They come in the back way, right? And most of what I saw outside was the tail of the dragon. And as I saw this, the dragon pulled his head out and faced me. 
I then saw cartoon black letters, uh, black characters, sneaking through the house from the back. In other words, they'd been released by the dragon, right? Spoken by the dragon. And as I came out of it, the Lord gave me the interpretation. The long log cabin house is UBM in the wilderness. The dragon is the corporate beast inhabited by Satan, as in Revelation 12. The prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail of the dragon, and Isaiah 9 and 15. And the mouth was in the house speaking lies, which were turning into black text also. He who does not come through the door, which is Jesus, but climbeth up some other way, coming into the back of the house, as Jesus said in John 10 and 1, uh, he was coming through the window in the back as a thief who comes to steal, as Jesus also said in John 10 and 10. The thief cometh not, but that he may steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. So these factious thieves, of course, are the ones who are not sent by the Lord, who speak lies to seek to steal a position of leadership and the people's hearts away from those who come through the door of Jesus. And how do they sneak in the back way? Matthew 18:15 says, Jesus said, Tell them to first face the person they are accusing, but they go first to the saints, which is the third step in verse 17. And they are uh, as a thief going to the saints first, like backstabbers, they are called in the Scripture. And we have had a, a parade of these people in the last few years. It's a cartoon because it's not a thing to be feared. I know it is God cleansing the church uh, for the wicked in heart listen to these people and separate from the righteous because we know that an evildoer giveth heed to lying lips. And it's also for the purpose of crucifying the true leaders as was done with Jesus and the apostles and throughout history. So these ink lies and the dragon, I've said uh, for a long time that the Lord revealed to me that the, the, uh, the faction is a part of the dragon seeking to devour the man-child, and they're doing that now before, of course, the catching up to the throne and um, that throne authority comes. So let's go back to Eve's dream. I and a few women that were with me were supernaturally preserved through this turbulent flood of waters and were partially suspended above the sea foam. We came out into a broad place where the flood waters were calm and there were no sea foam and we climbed up onto a flotilla of wreckage and were safe. Wreckage, hmm. Well, I believe the wreckage is Zion that the previous administration had destroyed through their sin 
and was now to be restored. Amen. The water now seemed to be fresh water, like in a lake. Amen. Isaiah 33 and 21 says this, But there the Lord will be with us in majesty, a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars. In other words, man-made religion. A man-motivated and empowered religion. Neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. So there is that place, that broad place, right? And uh, Eve gave Psalm eighteen fifteen through 19. Then the channels of water appeared, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. And at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They came upon me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. There it is again. And he delivered me because he delighted in me. Thank you, Lord. I looked back where the foamy, turbulent waters were still raging, and I saw a white leviathan sea dragon breach the waters and then dive back under. I understood that there was still danger in these waters and that this dragon hated me and those standing with me on the wreckage as much as the red dragon had. Well, the red dragon, uh, deep state, Satanists, and the white dragon, New Age, Earth Alliance, that are warring in the earth right now for dominion over the earth and its people. And, of course, uh, the Christians have a lot of hope, you know, that the white dragon will win. <laughs> and there is a white dragon among the Chinese and a red dragon, by the way, uh, associations. And, um, well, we have hopes to conquer, that the white dragon will conquer the deep state. But still, you know, the Medo-Persian Empire uh, conquered uh, the Babylonian Empire. And both of those were beast empires. And for now, the enemy of our satanic enemy is our friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, interesting. One of the women with me on the wreckage was worried about a little boy that had been with us in the turbulent, foamy sea waters. And suddenly we saw a little dark-haired boy about six years old come up out of the water and stand on the edge of the flotilla and she said this little boy looked like a mini version of Hitler but without the mustache he represents the factious Nazi leaders in the church and state who are part of the river of lies that the dragon spews out of his mouth at the righteous. They are part of the white dragon because they appear righteous, but are not born from above. They're corrupt. 
The dark hair represents that they are submitted to darkness, like 1 Corinthians 11 speaks of the hair being a sign of submission. They're submitted to darkness. They work for the white dragon, and they represent a corporate body of spiritually stunted and immature factious leaders around the world, because it's a little young boy who is a Hitler. And they have been among us for a long time because in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Um, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that that they all are not of us. Amen. I knew that the white dragon had sent him to come against us on the wreckage. He was menacing, and we were very concerned about him, but then his pants fell down around his ankles, exposing his very small and immature private area. Uh Uh-oh. Well, this is the uh, factious leadership in the church and state. They are too immature to sow the seed of the word, but they make themselves leaders. And uh, they will all be exposed for their sexual depravity, it's in both camps, and their evil abominations. It's going to be exposed. He became enraged by his exposure and held out both of his arms at his sides with clenched fists and let out a roar of rage that was much bigger than he was, because he represents the Nazi Nazi factious leaders who think that they are bigger than they are. They just have a purpose here. They're all under the control, just like uh, um, the Lord led the destroyer on his chain through Egypt, right? They're all under control. Um, And after he was exposed, the white dragon snatched him backwards into the water. Uh Uh-oh. We know that those who sow deception and lies must also reap it. It's the law, right? He sank feet first down into the depths with the dragon to be punished for his failures in service to him. Well, they will fail to deceive and destroy the righteous. Uh, Oh, well, they'll get those that are his for the moment at least, you know, but they can't deceive the righteous who hold to the word of God. So God is using these people as vessels of dishonor, Eve says, but judgment will be turned back upon their own heads, as the word says over and over. Psalm 7 11 through 16, God is a righteous judge, yea, a God that hath indignation every day. If a man turn not, he will whet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He maketh his arrows fierce, fiery shafts. Excuse me. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity. Yea, he hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He hath made a pit and digged it. There's the the hole. And has fallen into the ditch which he made. In other words, the deception that he gave out, he received. His mischief shall return upon his own head, 
and his violence shall come down upon his own pate. Then I woke up. Well, we all have a, a word here from Joe Britz that he got on 6322. Uh, Flood waters rising, factious exposed. There it is again. In this dream, I was walking downhill and I saw in front of me stones in the water. I could see that the water was rising very fast. Um, I turned around to go tell about the water rising so fast. Well, the waters are the lies and the destruction that the dragon spews out of his mouth to deceive the woman church, right? I then see a hole in the ground. There it is again. Now, these two didn't know about each other's dream at all. Uh, a hole in the ground that has been sealed. Uh-huh. Just like Eve's dream. And I know it covers a cave. There it is again, the cave that nobody can see or enter. Well, just like in Eve's dream that we just shared. And a perfect confirmation. The next moment, I'm in the cave, and I saw my sister, Anna Marie, meaning he, that is God, has favored me. He has favored me in the cave. And in front of her, on a flat surface, I see a naked young male child lying. So this is the little girl, right, that had favor with God. Okay, the factious leaders, um, this male child lying naked. Uh, this is the factious leaders exposed, as in Eve's dream. And I know that there was someone else in the cave that I could not see. The dragon. The dragon was also in Eve's dream. But they can't, it can't be seen. You know, it's a corporate entity that covers the earth, but it can't be seen. In the, in the natural. I moved the child a little forward so he could not fall off the flat surface. Well, what came to me immediately when I read this was that we tried very hard to save him from falling, but his lust just took him away, and God was not keeping him. He had black hair. So I asked the Lord for a word by faith at random and received Exodus ten twenty seven. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Well, as you know, when God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it was so that he would have to do more signs and wonders uh, to set the people free. And they would, of course, see those signs and wonders and understand God's care and his desire to set them free, right? Uh, and we know that the man-child Moses prophesied uh, Pharaoh's fall, and the Red Sea removed Pharaoh and his army as in our day. Amen. Well, we know that um, these people went out from us, but they do not belong to us. If they would, they would have continued with us, the Scripture says. And that's a, a part of God's cleansing of the church. Um, he's gathering together the tares and bundle them in, 
bundling them in bundles to burn them, and so that the wheat, of course, shines forth in the kingdom of the Father. Uh, the church is being sanctified through this, this act of uh, deception on the part of these people who have such ambition that they would consider themselves some kind of a leader. Okay? And, of course, the devil deceives them into thinking, Aha! I finally got a following. Well, the following, of course, is those that need to be, because of their failure to hold to the word, need to be taken out of the church. And through this deception, God sends deception to cleanse the body. And so these people, although they are vessels of dishonor and won't get a, a good reward for this, but a, a bad reward, um, they are being used to cleanse the church. We don't have to worry about deception. This, these, this um, harvest is God's harvest. He is going to harvest the fruit and uh, the rest he doesn't want. And so we, we know that God works all things after the counsel of his own will, and not, nobody restrains him or even says unto him, What are you doing? <laughs> As the scripture says, you know. So um, this is God's way of delivering his true church. You know, it's all right. A lot of people can play church as long as times are um, profitable and uh, and prosperous and uh, so on and so forth. There's peace in the land somewhat, you know. It's easy for you, a person to be a Christian. But what happens if they get persecuted? This begins separating. Or if they get corrected, you know, this is what has been delivering us of the faction uh, and their leaders because they went out from among us. And that is uh, when they continue in their sins and you tell them they can't do that, they get angry. Consistently, this has been the problem. You say, no, this is what the Word says, you know. No, you can't uh, seduce uh, a married woman in our midst. And, of course, they get angry, mad, go away, tear things up, so on and so forth. Oh, they claim they didn't do it, but they did, and we got proof of that. But it, the, the thing is, they must come out from among us because they don't have the same desires that we have to uh, fear the Lord and obey His Word. And that is proven through the tribulation. So why is the church going through tribulation? For the same reason. We want to find out who is the church. The church will be much smaller uh, than what it started out being. And that's because God's after the fruitful. And he's coming to pick the fruit. As uh, the first vision my youngest son had was of a, a ship on the water that was filled with um, people dressed in black and people dressed in white. And uh, uh, they were sitting, the people dressed in white were on the right side of the boat and the people dressed in black were on the left side of the boat or the wrong side of the boat, right? <laughs> 
and uh, uh, a military plane came down out of the sky and shot a, a missile at the boat and blew it all to pieces. I want to tell you that uh, there is a big shaking coming for the church, right? And uh, it, 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 because most of it is not the church and needs to fall by the wayside, right? And uh, so anyway, um, everybody was in the water, but the water, I mean, I believe it represents the Word of God. And the Word of God is very dangerous for people who walk in darkness. And they were walking, the people on the left side of the boat were walking in darkness, okay? And so, and the people on the right were walking in the light, obviously. So they were all in the water, and the people that were in black sunk beneath, kind of like Noah's ark lifted up the righteous, and the waters took out the wicked. And the word, the water of the word, will take out the wicked, because they're going to be judged by the word, as it says. Okay, so they sank. And then the people dressed in white uh, swam around and took parts uh, from the old ship, pieces of it, and built a smaller ship. A smaller ship. And then they needed a motor for the smaller ship. Well, you know how a child is. It, he, they went to the store to get a motor for this smaller ship. And they came back with a motor that was too big. It was cumbersome, like the the motor uh, on the apostate church today that motivates it and empowers it. And so they found out it was too too big and cumbersome, so they went back to the store and got a smaller one and put it on the ship, and everybody was happy. Well, there's a new government coming that is a smaller government, but the people are going to be weeded out. The apostates are going to be weeded out. They are most of the trouble. I mean, if you go through this land, for instance, the big sin cities who are controlled by the deep state, that's where all the crime is. And it's still that way today. In the church, it's that way. These leftists are full of crime, and they don't want to get rid of it. And so they have to go. And so God puts it in their heart, this spirit of faction, which is really anger and railing uh, and blaming somebody else for all of their sins. You know, that's, that's what they do. And so they're removed from the boat and uh, removed from the people of God. And the people of God are free and they shine forth in the kingdom of their father, as the Bible says. So God's in all of this. Fear not, uh, just desire earnestly to fear God and depart from evil. This is very, very important at this time. And all the things that hold us back, the many things that control our lives that are um, important to us more than just following the Lord, you'll have to lay them on the side because um, there people are going to understand that those refuges of light we shared a dream about recently. Um, you, you can't bring it all with you. This will be a, 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 a guidance from the Holy Spirit to get up and go and separate and leave behind these things that you do not need. Amen? 
Well, Father, we thank you so much for showing us this wonderful revelation, true revelation, and that it's all part of your plan. It's good. Uh, you will sanctify your people. And uh, also, Father, we, uh, we thank you for, for being with uh, Michael and the brethren as uh, Michael shares the word with them. And uh, thank you, Father, for pouring out your Spirit upon all of us, causing us to run after you like the Shulamite in Song of Solomon, fanatically running after the Lord. Amen. Let it be so. God bless you and keep you. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just lift up the word to you. And I ask, Father, for your anointing to get this uh, word of faith out in a way that would be pleasing to you and helpful to them. And I praise you and I glorify you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. That's what I want to talk about today is faith. Uh, but uh, first of all, I want to tell you that David's teaching, the real good news, of course, is an in-depth teaching on faith from the Word of God that uh, I highly recommend everybody study. And But this teaching that I'm about to give you is, is kind of on a more personal experience level. And uh, I believe you'll see what I'm talking about as we progress through it. Uh, as we start, I want to talk about uh, two kinds of knowledge. And uh, it's safe to say that there's no knowledge of chemistry or biology, electricity or mechanics or any other field of research, but that which has come to us through our five senses, seeing, tasting, hearing, smelling, and feeling. And as you know, all the knowledge that our schools, colleges, universities teach, they come through our five senses. Our bodies have really been actually a laboratory in which the research work has steadily gone on uh, throughout the ages. And that knowledge is limited, though. It can't find the human spirit. It can't discover how the mind functions in the physical brain. And it cannot find God nor discover the origin of matter, of life, of force, or of creation. All that it can discover are things that it can see, hear, taste, smell, or feel. Fear, uh, a feel. And we call it sense knowledge. Then there's another kind of knowledge that comes to us through the revelation called the Bible. Glory to God. This is revelation knowledge. It brings us in contact with the Creator. And it explains the why of creation, the reason for man, the nature of man, and the ultimate goal of man. And it deals with things that the senses can't discover or know without assistance from this revelation knowledge. How many of you know that sense knowledge has gained the supremacy in the church of today? The church is a spiritual organization. It's a spiritual body to be governed through the spirit instead of through the senses. When sense knowledge gained the throne in the church and the fountain of the church, that's the schools, the church ceased to be a spiritual body. And it simply became a body of men governed by sense 
knowledge. And you can see why sense knowledge, which can't understand spiritual things, will deny miracles. They're going to deny answers to prayer. And they'll deny the deity of Jesus. And they'll discredit his resurrection and miracles. And it is expected that sense knowledge will deny the miraculous because he can't explain it. He can't understand it. The chief quest of sense knowledge has been for reality. Man's spirit craves it. Reality can't be found by the senses, folks. It's only discovered by the spirit. Sense knowledge has sent forth men called philosophers and searchers after reality. And I'm going to tell you something. It's a profound fact worthy of everybody's consideration that the man who really knows Jesus Christ, who has received eternal life, never turns to philosophy because he has arrived at the reality of the Spirit of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, that's reality, and the life. So Jesus is the answer to all true philosophy. Hebrews 11 and 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds have been framed or created by the word of God, so that what is seen hath not been made out of things which do appear. Brings to mind Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning God created. How did he create? He created by the word of faith. He said, let there be. And he created with words. Jesus knew the secret of words. He healed the sick with words. He raised the dead with words. And he stilled the sea with peace be still. Glory to God. And Peter, he healed the sick by using the name of Jesus. Paul cast out demons by saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. And they used the words that were born of faith. They were faith words. We become the sons of God, partakers of his very nature, by acting on words. We become faith men and women. We use faith words and we produce faith results. Now, I'm going to say a few things here that might tick you off a little bit, but I want you to wait until I get through before you judge me here, okay? I receive a lot of e emails asking for prayer. Why? Because many of the people who ask for prayer, they don't have confidence in their own faith. And for some reason, they don't believe in themselves. They don't believe in what Christ has done for them or what they are in Christ. And the reason for their unbelief is that they don't know what they are in Christ. They have a feeling that they're not good enough and that their faith is not strong enough. They are acquainted with all of their own failings and weaknesses, and they accept every condemnation that they hear. And they're always willing to believe anything against themselves, their unworthiness, their unfitness, their weakness, or their lack of faith. Here's a revelation for you. The fact is that God has no favorites. Every person born into his family has the same redemption. He has been redeemed out of the hand of his enemy. Satan was conquered for him personally. 
and he could say he was he was delivered up on the account of my trespassing. He was raised for my justification. And he can confidently say, who delivered me out of the authority of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of his son of love, in whom I have my redemption, the remission of my trespasses. It is a personal and an absolute redemption from the dominion of the adversary, the enemy. Praise God. Now listen, when Jesus put Satan to naught and stripped him of his authority, it was you in Christ who did that work. Christ acted in your stead. He did it for you. And now you can say, in Christ I conquered Satan. I stripped him of his authority. And when Jesus arose from the dead, I arose with him. And you can confidently say Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved and raised us up with him and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no man should glory. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. It's when you take your place and begin, uh, begin to assume your rights and privileges that God begins to respond to you. You have the same eternal life that Jesus had. 1 John 5, 12 says, He that hath the Son hath the life. You have the Son. You have the life. Now, some of you out there saying, I have taken Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have confessed him as my Lord. God has given to me eternal life, his own nature. I am a new creation now, created in Christ Jesus, and I have God's ability to perform the good works that were for prepared that I should walk in them. I have God's ability because I have God's nature. I have the same great mighty spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling inside me. Because John, uh, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Glory to God. You have the same righteousness as Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 said, him who knew no sin, God made to be sent on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And you can now say, I have become the righteousness of God in him. And in Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them, that's me, because I am in Christ Jesus. That righteousness gives you the privilege of standing in the Father's presence as though you had never committed a sin. You've got his nature. You're his very own child. He's your father. And you can say, he has declared me righteous. He has made me righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ.
And as a son or a daughter, you have the legal right to use the name of Jesus. Ain't nobody got a better right to use the name of Jesus than you do. Glory to God. Now say this with me, okay? Jesus declares that in John 14, 14, that whatever I ask in his name, he'll give it to me. Fearlessly, I take my place. I lay my hands upon that loved one who is sick and say, in the name of Jesus, disease, leave this body. Demon, leave this body and go off into the abyss where you belong. And don't you ever touch this loved one again. In Mark 16 and 18, Christ said to me that they who believe should lay hands on the sick and they should recover. In my name, they shall cast out demons. He said that to me. I accept it at his face value and I act upon it because he said it to me. Glory to God and amen. It ought to be a great comfort to our hearts when we realize that the father doesn't have any favorites, that all the children have their own place in his heart. He loves each one of them, even as he loves the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in John 17 and 23, that the world may know that you loved it, even as you loved me. We all have the same redemption. The work that he wrought in Christ absolutely destroyed the power of the enemy and now redeems every person who's going to accept Christ as Savior and confess him as Lord. That redemption is from the works of the adversary and from his dominion over our lives, praise God. Everyone has the same righteousness. Ain't nobody got a better righteousness, righteousness or more righteousness. Righteousness comes through the new creation. When we are born again, we receive the life and nature of God the Father. His nature makes us righteous. No one has more of it than another. All who receive his nature have come into the family and are recognized as the sons and daughters of the great Father God. Everyone has the same rights in the family. Each one might have a different gift. But the gift doesn't make him any dear to the heart of the Father. Because everyone has the same love nature, the same great Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Each one has a right to the same kind of fellowship with the Father. And each one has a right to use the name of Jesus. And each one has a right to the authority invested in that name to deliver people from the dominion of Satan, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. Folks, the Father has no favors. The closer your relationship is with the Father, the sweeter and richer your life will be. Now, the problem with, of healing is a problem of the integrity of the Word. Many have never recognized it, but the Word is the healer today. God in Christ wrought a perfect redemption. And in that redemption, there is perfect healing for every believer. But because of lack of knowledge of the word, Christians everywhere are sick. Psalms 107 and verse 20 says this, He sent his word and healed them. John 1 and 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the word that he sent. He had sent his spoken word through the prophets, and then the living word was made flesh. Now he unveils the life-giving word in the Gospels and the Epistles. John chapter 6 and verse 63 says, The words that I have spoken unto you are spirit and are life. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and quick to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Folks, the word becomes a living thing only as we act on it. The word is God speaking, and it's always a present tense fact. And you might say that the word is always now, just as God is always now. The word is a part of God himself. God and his word are one, just as you and your word are one. The word is the will of the Father, just as Jesus, the word made flesh, was the will of the Father during his earthly ministry. And what God says is, what God says will become. Had he not wanted it to be, he would not he, he wouldn't have said it. You can depend on his word completely. In the past, we've all de depended upon institutions and men to do it. But I'm going to tell you something. Institutions will fall and they'll fail. Individuals will die. Nations will disintegrate. But God cannot deny himself. Because behind the word is the integrity of God. Not only is his integrity behind the word, but his very throne is involved in his word. Hebrews 7 and 22 declares that Jesus is the surety of the new covenant. By so much also has Jesus become the surety of a better covenant. He is back of every word from Matthew to Revelation. Every word was God breathed. The throne upon which Jesus is seated is back of every word. Now, there has to be a clear distinction in your mind between believing and mental assent. Believing the word is acting on the word. Mental assent is acknowledging the truthfulness of the word, the integrity of the word, but never acting on it. Mental sin is like standing outside the bakery looking through the window at that cake down there and you can't possess it. Hope is not faith. It's not believing. Hope is always living in the future. But faith is always now and it's not passive. Passivity lies quietly without action, without choice. It is inert. Believing is acting on the word. Believing the word is not only recognizing its utter truthfulness, but it's taking it to be your very own right now. And to act on his word is to do his will and to act in his will. And God is honored by our acting on the word. He, he's dishonored 
by our mentally assenting to as truthfulness, by our hoping that it will become true sometime, and by our passivity that lies quietly rejoicing in the word that ain't got no part in it. He that believeth hath, it says. If you believe you have, his name is glorified by our acting on the word. The Father is glorified by our acting on the word. And remember that his throne is back of his word. His integrity is involved in it. John 15 and 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so shall you be my disciples. That is the fruit of the indwelling word which has prompted prayers that are answered, folks. You know, there's... Uh, Two views of healing out there in the world, Christian world. And the most common view is that healing is not in the redemptive work of Christ, but it belongs to us if we have faith enough to claim it. <clears throat> and this belief holds that faith is the gift of God. And if God gives you faith for your healing, you're going to be him. If he does not give you faith, there ain't no need to struggle for your healing. Your only hope is the arm of the flesh at that time. That view is superficial. It's the result of sense knowledge. Sense knowledge is the knowledge of natural man that is gained through senses. It's the kind of knowledge taught in all of our technical schools and universities. That other kind of knowledge is revelation knowledge. It teaches that miracles are for today. Sense knowledge repudiates it in a very large measure because it's above the knowledge of the senses. The second view of healing is that it is a part of the plan of redemption. That disease came with the fall and that sickness is a work of the adversary. And because disease came with the fall, God is the natural, logical healer. Man can't deal with the sin problem. He can't make himself righteous. He can't rid himself of sin consciousness. These can only come through the finished work of Christ. God planned that when we were recreated, the recreation which comes through our receiving the nature and life of God, we would be righteous and partake of his righteousness, which is his very nature. And that would give us the position of sons. The new creation is more than being baptized or confirmed. It's receiving the life and the nature of the Father. Our spirits are recreated by receiving eternal life. And Isaiah 53 holds the key of that redemption. Jesus was made sin with our sins. Not only was he made sin with our sins, but he was made sick with our sicknesses. Natural man is called sin. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. But be not unequally yoked with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness and iniquity or what communion hath light with darkness. The believer is called righteousness. The unbeliever is called iniquity. He has not only committed sin, but he is sin. And the believer is called light and the unbeliever is called darkness. And just as the sinner is sin, the sick man is not only sick, but he is sickness. Sin deals with the spirit. Sickness is a spiritual thing revealed in the body. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? 
The believer is called Christ because Christ is a part of the body. The branch is a part of the vine. It's as much a part of the vine as the vine itself. 1 Corinthians 12 and 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of the body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And the man outside of Christ is called Belial. And that perfectly agree, agrees with 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. When, I, when God laid our sin on Jesus, he laid us on Jesus. He laid the whole man on Jesus. He laid his sin, his weaknesses, his infirmities and diseases, his union with the adversary on Jesus. Jesus became sin with our sin, became sick with our sicknesses. Isaiah 53.10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And another translation reads, It pleased the Lord to crush him with disease. He hath made him sick. And then the sixth verse, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was made sick with our sicknesses. He was made sin with our sin. And that was God's method of dealing with the sin problem. He settled the sin problem. There ain't no more sin problem. Christ put sin away and satisfied the claims of justice for man. The real problem is the sinner problem. There is no sickness problem. There is, a, there is simply a problem of the believers coming to know what his inheritance in Christ is. When John the Baptist said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he was given public notice that this man whom he, this man whom he had baptized was the sin substitute, the sickness substitute for the human race. Sin and sickness come from the same source. Satan is the author of both of them. And I'm sure that it's God's order that the believer should be as free from sickness as he is from sin. He should be as free from the fear of disease as he is from the condemnation of sin. God cannot see sin in the new creation. Neither can he see sickness in the new creation. James wrote, is any sick among you? There ought not to be any sick among you, but if there is anyone sick, this tells you what he ought to do. It was the plan of the Father that every believer should know what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, and that we, having died unto sin, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And he wants us to know that when he laid our sins and sicknesses on Jesus and Jesus bore them away, it was to the end that sin and disease should no longer have any kind of a dominion over us. And he wants us to know in the second place that sickness and disease don't belong in the family of God either. If there should be any sickness among us, it's because of the low state of knowledge of our rights and privileges in our redemption. It's due to a lack of knowledge of the fact that God, by laying our diseases on Christ, 
has settled the disease problem in redemption. We ought to be as free from the fear of sickness as we are free from the condemnation of sin. Both of them are from the enemy. At the new birth, sins are all remitted. The sin nature is displaced by the nature of God. Disease leaves with the sins. So the Father can see no sickness in the new creation. He put it all on Christ. When we recognize the fact that our sickness was laid on Christ, that he bore our diseases in his body on the tree, and that by his stripes we were healed, it's going to be the end of the dominion of diseases in our lives. But that knowledge is not a bit of a value until your heart says, Surely he bore my disease and my pains, and by his stripes I am healed. Just as though you were the only sick person in the world. The word is just like God. It is eternal. It can't be destroyed. He watches over it to make it good. His word brought man into being. Now he's building himself into man through the word. The word is part of himself and it is this self that is changing the conduct of believers and bringing them into harmony with himself. He shares himself with us. He gives us his nature in the new creation, and he makes himself one with us. We are united with him in the new birth, glory to God. And we're we're supposed to take advantage of this. His nature gives us new ability, new wisdom, and we have to take advantage of it. His strength is ours. His life is ours. His health is ours. His ability is ours. Disease is Satan's work. And when you tell anyone of it, you glorify him. You ignore the fact that God laid that disease upon Jesus and that he put it away. The word says that you're healed. Get used to acting on the word, glory to God. Let's talk a little bit about the value of confession. And it's necessary that there be a continual confession of our redemption from Satan's dominion and that he no longer rules us with condemnation nor fear of disease. And we hold fast to this confession. As our confession is Satan's defeat, folks. Us believers, we don't ask to be healed because we ha already have been healed. We don't ask to be made righteous because we have already been made righteous. We don't ask to be redeemed. For our redemption is an absolute fact. And in the mind of the Father, we are perfectly healed and perfectly free from sin, sin because he laid our diseases and our sins on Jesus. His son was made sin with our sins. He was made sick with our diseases. And in the mind of Christ, we are perfectly healed because he can remember when he was made sin with our sins and when he was made sick with our diseases. He remembers when he put our sin and our diseases away for us. And in the mind of the Holy Spirit, we're absolutely free from both of them. For he remembers when Christ was made sin and when he was made sick. He remembers when he raised Jesus from the dead. 
Christ was free from our sin and our sickness. Both of them had been put away before his resurrection. The word declares that in 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes we were healed. And the whole problem is our recognition of the absolutely truthfulness of that word right there. It's not good to ask him to heal us, for he's already done it. He declared that we were healed. Therefore, we are. The only problem now is to get in perfect harmony with his word. And if we declare we are healed, then our part is to thank him for the work he's already accomplished in us, right? Now let's talk a little bit about the renewing of our minds. It's only the renewed mind that can grasp these solid truths. Your spirit has been recreated, but not your mind. Up until now, it has received all of its knowledge through the senses. So it has to be renewed. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that same truth is brought out at Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Not by works done in righteousness, which we did ourselves, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 and 23 says, And that ye be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. And then Colossians 3 and 10. And have put on the new man that is being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him. This renewing of the mind, folks, comes through meditation and action on the word of God. And as soon as one is born again, he should ask the Holy Spirit to come in and make his home in his body. Luke 11 and 13 shows the Father's attitude in regard to it. It says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? As surely as we ask him, so surely will the Spirit make his home in our bodies. The renewed mind sees that all there is to be done for its healing is to praise the Father for it. It says, my diseases were laid on, on Christ and he put them away. I am healed. Bless God. I thank the Father that it is done. Glory to God. There still might be pain there. There might be some soreness there. But that's only the testimony of the senses. And we refuse to listen to the witness of our senses. We accept the word of God and act upon it. As surely as God sits on the throne, he's going to make that word good in us. Folks, we don't ask for power, for he who is the power is in us. We don't ask for wisdom, for Christ was made wisdom unto us. We don't ask for redemption, for he is our redemption. We don't ask for sanctification, for he has made unto us sanctification. We don't ask for righteousness, because he has made unto us righteousness.
Praise God. Folks, this faith life is the most beautiful thing in the world. We step out of the old sense realm where we have lived. We have always lived with Thomas before. He said in John 20 and 25, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his sight, I will not believe. What Jesus tell him? He said, Reach hither thy finger, and see my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and put it into my sight. And be not faithless, but believing. Then Thomas cried. He said, My Lord and my God. But what Jesus tell him? He said, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. We ought not to need the evidence of the senses. And let's just go ahead and rest on what the word of God says. Ephesians 1 and 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. You're in the family. Everything that the Father has belongs to the children. You're one of them. You have been blessed. You know, God meets man where he is. Most of the healings that were performed by the apostles at the early church were among men and women who had not yet become Christians. They were heathens or they were Jews. But healing was God's method of advertising, God's method of revealing himself to the natural mind. Jesus was an intrusion into the sense realm. The church, the new creation, was an invasion into the sense realm. But today, the sense knowledge men have invaded the church and they've taken it over, had not they? The sense realm is the realm of the natural man. That is, the man who believes only what he can hear, taste, smell, feel, or see. And God's intrusion into that realm in the person of his son as head of the church was a miraculous invasion. Mark 16, verse 16 through 21, gives us evidence for that. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that disbelieveth shall be condemned, and these signs shall accompany them that believe. Listen, our confessions either imprisons us or it sets us free. A strong confession coupled with a corresponding action on the word brings God on the scene. And holding fast to one's confession when the senses contradict shows that one has become established in the word. <clears throat> and a Satan-inspired confession is always, always dangerous. And remember that he brought that disease, put it on you, and your acknowledgement of the disease is like signing a package for that express company has left for you to sign. Satan then has the receipt for your disease because you have accepted it. When you spoke it, I have this or I have that, you have signed that receipt that you have it that Satan put on you. Surely he hath borne our sickness and carried our disease is God's receipt for our perfect healing. And a positive confession dominates circumstances while a vacillating confession permits circumstances to govern one. 
Your confession is what God says about your disease. A negative confession will make the disease stronger. Then your confession heals or it keeps you sick. The confession over your lips should have your heart's full agreement on it. As soon as a man believed, these signs were to accompany him. Mark 16, 17, and 18. In my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. The word believer means a believing one. As soon as a man was born again, God planned that he ought to advertise the new creation by healing sick folk in the presence of the unsaved world. Praise God. Jesus' entire ministry was a combat with demon forces. And the same thing is true today of the church. All disease, all sickness, all pain, all trouble, all sin is a result of the satanic hatred of the human race. It says, in my name they shall cast out demons. We're supposed to take Jesus' place. They were going out into the world and acting for him, the disciples were. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and we're supposed to act for him today, doing the same thing. 1 John 3 and 8. To this end was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. John 14 and 12. Greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto the Father, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. Now, he's not talking about prayer. He's talking about casting out demons, about healing the sick and the miracles. Whatsoever you shall demand in my name. That's the word ask means demand. You are demanding as Peter did at the beautiful gate that morning when he said to that impotent man in Acts 3 and 6. But Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have that give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And that man was instantly healed. And he wasn't a Christian. He hadn't accepted Christ. And it's very likely that the great multitude who were healed, recorded in Acts 5, were made up of unsaved people. And the majority of the healings in the book of Acts were healings of sick people who had not yet become believers. Read carefully Acts 5, 12, and 16. Practically all of these people were unsaved Jews. Now, that doesn't believe that they didn't have faith to believe that when he prayed for them that they were here. They did. Now, in Acts chapter 8 and verses 8 through 10, the power of God is unveiled again. All these miracles performed in Jesus' name were upon an unsaved world at that time. The church has missed its greatest method of advertising. God's method of advertising was through miracles. Divine healing has a large ministry with the unsaved today. Christianity is Christ living in men today. The incarnation and the new birth are both of God. Both are miracles. Answered prayer is a miracle. 
And when prayer does not produce miracles, it ain't nothing but empty words. A miracle is God moving into the sense realm. Don't condemn yourself for your doubts. Cure them by getting acquainted with the Father. Confession always goes ahead of healing. Don't watch your symptoms either. Watch the word and be sure that you confess in a bold and vigorous manner. Don't listen to people. Act on the word. Be a doer of the word because it's God speaking. You are healed. The word says you are. Don't listen to your senses. Give the word its place because God doesn't lie. Now, I want to relate to you Don Gossett's My Never Again list. And here's what he says about it. He said, I will always praise God for directing me to write down this list of affirmations. If no one else had been blessed by it, I would still praise the Lord. But in addition to blessing me, it has been printed in many languages and distributed throughout the world. God has used it to minister to literally millions of people, people who have read it and put it into practice. And the list is founded on a passage from Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. Because if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, and shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And it's also in harmony with the spirit of faith as we revealed in Second Corinthians 4 and 13. We, having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believe, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. And this is Don Gossett's My Never Again list. Never again will I confess I can't because I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, Philippians 4 and 13. Never again will I confess lack for my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4 and 19. Never again will I confess fear, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1 and 7. Never again will I confess doubt and lack of faith, for God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith, Romans 12 and 3. Never again will I confess weakness, for the Lord is the strength of my life, Psalms 27 and 1, and the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits, Daniel 11 and 32. Never again will I confess supremacy of Satan over my life, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, 1 John 4 and 4. Never again will I confess defeat, for God always causes us to triumph in Christ, 2 Corinthians 2 and 14. Never again will I confess lack of wisdom, for Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians 1 and 30. 
Never again will I confess the domination of sickness over my life, for with his stripes we are healed, Isaiah 53 and 5. Never again will I confess worries and frustrations, for I am casting all my care upon him, for he cares for me, 1 Peter 5 and 7. In Christ I am carefree. Never again will I confess bondage, for Scripture says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 2 Corinthians 3 and 17, because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the last one says, never again will I confess condemnation, for there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 and 1. I am in Christ, therefore I am free from condemnation, bless God forevermore. No, Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Folks, the milk is knowing the word, hearing the word, preaching the word. The meat is doing the word. That's the difference between milk and meat. You can hear about it all your life, and as long as you sit and become a hearer and not a doer, you're going to deceive yourself. And as a believer in Christ, you must relate to him alone. When you read the Gospels, stop putting yourselves in the shoes of the sick, the sinners, and the skeptical. Begin to put yourselves in the shoes of and relate to Christ alone when you read. What he did, you can do also. You have to put yourself in the position of the person you are most like, okay? And the only person filled with the Spirit walking right with God was Jesus. And that's who we ought to be acting and talking and walking like. And Lord, <clears throat> I just thank you for getting this word out and let it be a help to everybody out there. And I praise you, Father, that people will be coming into that realm of faith that you want us to walk in, Lord. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Well, God bless you, saints. We'll see you next time, God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the rivers rise, I still believe. Oh, your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? Shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you oh, Sacred heart in you I find Mercy seated for all time 
I am yours and you are mine. Oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh Jesus. Jesus.